talk about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way it might be really good. Wow. to It's Good Except It Sucks, a movie by movie and television series by television series hurtled through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time we're taking a look at WandaVision, first seen in January 2021, when if you wanted to look clever in front of your friends you could watch Cake Alikes, Call Your Mother or Amy Schumer Learns to Cook Uncensored instead. I'm Tim Worthington, and we'll be finding out what I made of WandaVision shortly. Meanwhile, joining us to give her thoughts on WandaVision is film and TV critic Hannah Flint. Hannah, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter, at Hannah Flint. Okay, so before we go any further, Hannah, what happens in WandaVision? What happens in WandaVision? A lot happens in WandaVision. I think it takes place maybe like a week after Avengers Endgame, and we kind of meet Wanda, who is living a reality that she's created. Each episode is kind of defined by a sitcom of a certain era, going from the kind of 1950s, 60s Dick Van Dyke show sitcoms moving forward, and we get like... Malcolm in the Middle, Full House. I haven't done it in the right order, but those are just some of the few of the sitcom names. With each episode, we're trying to understand how has Wanda created this world? Why is Vision back when we know he died? On the other side of things, we've got Monica Rambo, who you'll remember was in Captain Marvel. She was the daughter of Maria Rambo, Captain Marvel's best mate. We find out what she's been doing in the years since the 90s and how her own kind of story runs adjacent to Wanda's as we deal with issues of grief and overcoming that. We've also got Jimmy Woo, who everyone remembers from Ant-Man. And obviously the best bit about WandaVision, or maybe not the best bit, but my favourite thing, is that we've got Kat Dennings back as Darcy Lewis. I love her so much. And, you know, I've loved her ever since she's called Mjolnir Mjolnir. So <laughs> I was very happy to have her back. So yeah, I think it's kind of an interesting journey, kind of understand like what kind of place Wanda's in, how she's created this world, and how her grief is manifesting in a kind of toxic way, in a, a threatening way while also dealing with our tropey loves in the MCU of the white male bureaucrat who wants to cause <laughs> trouble. It's the MCU, we must have a white male bureaucrat to cause issues and be untrustworthy. <laughs> well, there's no point me asking how much you knew about Wonder and Vision before you saw this. So Hannah, how much did you know about Monica Rambo before you saw Wonder Vision? I didn't really know too much. I mean, I knew what her progression could be. I knew, obviously, looking at the comic books, I often like this whenever you know after watching Captain Marvel and seeing that and you know I, there's so much online that you can read about to kind of understand where these plot points come from within the comic world so I was very interested to see that she obviously becomes 
a superhero in her own right with superpowers. And I like that, you know, we saw that her mother's call sign was Photon. So there was a little nod there. So I kind of knew we were heading towards that. But I really enjoyed the kind of, I liked the way that it played out in this. It was a very slow burner. Like it didn't just kind of immediately say, oh, she's this person. She's going to be a superhero. I love the way that her origin story was actually directly built and related to like what Wanda was doing and how actually I like that how Monica's powers are kind of linked to Wanda's powers and it kind of her origin story is wrapped up in her going into the hex as it were and I like the fact that we're kind of set up at the end for a future which is going to once again bring her back to what was going on at the end of Captain Marvel you feel like this is a spoiler episode so we can talk about spoilers but you know when we saw that scroll at the end and she like points up is like she's gonna go see Nick Fury up up in space so kind of like finally we got like some confirmation that there's gonna be you know this story's progressing so I just thought it was quite wonderful and I also just like that Monica I love her hair in it I know it's such a simple thing but so often when it comes to black women or women of colour they kind of have to like have the straight and look have the weaves but there she is with this big natural hair and I just thought it was such a beautiful thing to see and I just love how she was in a way like she was the key to helping Wanda in a way her grief of losing her mother in a way her grief was a positive manifestation of that emotion Wanda's is a negative it kind of if we don't process that pain it can cause harm to the people around us whereas I think grief is such a palpable thing in superhero stories and especially in the comic books so I just thought it was really interesting to see that theme played out with two different women and see how different it can go well Monica was one of the characters I've really been waiting for to show up because I mean it all goes back to you know the enthusiasm you never forget from when you're a little kid which is when I was first seeing you know the occasionally be allowed an American Marvel comic as opposed to the UK (laughs) reprints and I remember getting I think it may have been her actual first appearance I think I saw it at the time but I think it was in Spider-Man and her origin story started with a full frame you know like a kind of disco diva with the big afro she had then with a caption saying who's that lady and as they would want to do in some of these loads of men saying hey mama and then you turn over the page and realise she's a half-bitten harbour patrol detective who's yeah. undercover in the comic universe she gets her powers because some people are trying to assemble a weapon on a boat and she interrupts them and gets blasted by it but she was quite a revolutionary character in that you know her attitude was very different because she had that real kind of hardened background similar to what the vigilantes had in the comics but also she was the first to really encourage the female superheroes to like form a group of friends rather than just you know reluctantly be friends because they were on the same team yeah she still plays that role now and i hope that's where they're going with the movies and the tv series from now on that there might be more of that kind of interaction yeah i mean i I feel like i'm playing a bit catch up with the comic books i mean the one that i'm reading at the moment i've been reading a lot of the kind of scarlet witch stuff and i was reading black widow stuff i come across obviously read civil war but there's a civil war version where it's like heroes for hire but it's like it's misty knight colleen wing and then you've got black cat tarantula and it just feels like i you know reading that just feels like oh this is great they're the really powerful people and it doesn't feel like you know we saw at the Avengers Endgame that everyone kind of talks about that the women of Marvel moment where they all run and try and help how are you going to get through them all it's like we'll help her and it's like everyone running next to each other it's like cool like it's the first time we've got all these women together <laughs> it's like right after a 10 year streak of like <laughs> none of that great we finally got in the same movie so so yeah I think I think there's so much that there has to be course correcting in a way when it comes to the evolution of characters especially when you have to retcon backstories to kind of fit within the times that we're living in now rather than what it was I can imagine not that I you know what, what you've described there about Monica 
Metallica, it seems like, you know, you kind of have the influence of like Pam Greer or like the black exploitation movies, which saw powerful, like this strong female character, Foxy Brown. They kind of like that sort of character. Where it's like, yeah, we're the hot mamas, but actually we're the hard nosed like criminals and we're going to take you down and fuck you, you know, that kind of that attitude. And I think, you know, so much of that, I think we can thank a lot of those movies for, I suppose, portray giving women an opportunity to do that. I mean, obviously, there's, I feel like there's still this quite sexualization of women in it. But what I quite enjoy about the MCU is, and also the later comic books from what I've read is they're kind of moving, they're shifting away from that perspective where actually it's not about her having her boobs out looking sexy. You know what I mean? Like Black Widow is an interesting character where it's like at first it was, oh, she's using her womanly ways. She's like the red, that kind of like Russian spy having to be sexy and all that. Whereas now it feels like, you know, Monica is an example of the kind of more modern female hero who doesn't have to do that to be powerful. Actually, she doesn't have to be gendered in that way. And actually just, you know, she's got the same freedom to kick ass as any man has. But there's something also about her being a woman that makes her distinctive. And I suppose a black woman as well, like her experience of life, what she's going through, you know, even that whole stuff with Hayward in it. There is this like, there's this all unspoken thing that doesn't even have to be said, but we understand because the world is not made in a vacuum. You know, we understand that there are racial, social politics going on at the same time. And it just it's interesting that we don't have to often feed into that explicitly. Actually, it's just there and just seeing a black woman be powerful and be the good guy, you know, and not have to have this like, you know, hard nosed backstory. I think that's really progressive. I think sometimes, you know, we kind of see like, if you like someone like Blade, where it's, he's kind of like hard nosed on the street, where she comes from a very nice family, you know, her mom was a <laughs> fighter. She was going to be the director. It doesn't have to be this like torrid, traumatic backstory for all the characters. And I think that's so important, especially when there's like minority characters in there. And the other major new character we get, I mean, we're coming back to an old character in the second, but the other major new character we get does have in a really underplayed way quite a torrid backstory who is Agatha Harkness now I love the way they brought her in kind of under the radar because it was one of those things it was like when Russell C Davis brought the master back into Doctor Who there were enough clues <laughs> for somebody who knew who she was to think oh my god that's Agatha Harkness isn't it but anyone else would just get a shock with the reveal and that song that amazing kind of pastiche of the weird <laughs> thing is I mean we've not even talked about the sitcoms yet we will have to get round to that but that is very much a parody of do you know in the 80s they briefly brought the monsters back as the monsters today and they had a dreadful yeah. vocal version of the theme and it's, it's <laughs> basically that and i love that they did that but they don't shy away from the fact that agatha has this quite tortured backstory mm. you know she mm. might be all powerful magically but you know she's persecuted as a witch and so on but the other interesting thing is they've made her definitely on the side of evil in this whereas in the comics it's a bit more she's morally ambiguous she's nice to you as long as you're doing what she wants and also there was some criticism of making her younger because she's often presented as quite an elderly lady but I've got to say people were saying that young Agatha is not new as appeared yeah. quite a lot of time yeah it's interesting I mean I suppose having the old lady old crone witch would play into a stereotype as well and you know Catherine Hahn is hardly like <laughs> she looks great by the way sorry I feel like I should preface that like she looks great but she's, she's a middle-aged woman it's good that she could play a role like that. I mean, what's interesting, like you said, they were kind of like little breadcrumbs. You kind of thought, is she? Is she not? You know, her name's Agnes, and you're like, oh, could it be? But I think the fact that they cast Catherine Hahn in it, you knew she was going to be. I think sometimes the casting is a giveaway that they're going to be more significant than you think. And Catherine Hahn is a brilliant character actress. I think what's interesting, I think she's what I quite like about Marvel, especially nowadays, is the 
idea that no one's born evil. It's circumstances. We take a path and it's what we, you know, it's like great power comes great responsibility. It's like, do you choose being a hero is a choice, like choosing that path rather than choosing villainy. I think that's what's so interesting about WandaVision is that she's doing a fundamentally horrible, horrible thing. <laughs> like it's villainous what she's doing because her grief is so painful for her and how she's processing it is forcing her into a villain category. How we know that she's the hero is that we've already kind of had and you have to like establish all the heroism that she's done in the past. After all these losses, she still is fighting for the good. Even, you know, at the beginning, even when we see those episodes and I think it was like episode six or seven where we kind of you have that where it just kind of looks back at her history as Agatha's trying to like understand where does she get her power from. Throughout it, there's always been an intention of in a way good. Like all of her intentions have always supposed to be well-meaning. She's trying to do better and kind of fight against what she sees. You know, Tony Stark, we all know Stark Industries aren't <laughs> are not like the best. You know, the fact is he was a weapons dealer and he didn't mind until he suddenly found himself victim to his own weapons. You know, then you look at someone like the Punisher as well, who, you know, he's an anti-hero because he's trying to get rid of the bad guys but he kills people like he hurts people <laughs> but we let him off because he's hurting the bad guys so when you hurt innocent bystanders that's the problematic nature of one division that i think is a really interesting play on it and with agatha even though she's kind of seen as the bad guy at the end of this it's like the same with wonder like it's very clear that she's good again but there's going to be this roller coaster there's so much space for this up and down you know like magneto in the x-men it's so interesting to see like how he was the villain but suddenly he has you know chris Claremont brought him back who ends up being the principal of the Xavier Academy so it's kind of like I love the way comic book movies and properties kind of show that that actually there is this line people make choices to make on good or bad and actually there's a massive grey area and it's actually <laughs> the hero's path is a quite tough one to do it's so easy to be the villain and I think with Agatha as we know from the comics she does become an ally to Scarlet Witch so I think in the future I wouldn't be surprised if Agatha might have ended as a bad guy in this but she might come back to be more of a Loki type character you know someone who does bad things because of their like he's got daddy issues Loki that's his whole thing <laughs> so I think with Agatha she's got mommy issues her mum tried to kill her you know so I think I just like that there's so much space to let these people move around and not boxed into these ideas and it just makes them so much more interesting characters to watch Too. 
Well, speaking of the X-Men, the other really interesting, well, I say debut, I don't know if they do anything more with him, is that we get Evan Peters playing Quicksilver, or Pietro as he's framed in this, as he did in the X-Men film franchise. Obviously, he was replaced in Age of Ultron and immediately killed off. That's an interesting diversion because, I mean, contrary to popular belief, they'd always done nods to the non-MCU Marvel stuff. You look at things like, you know, the 70s Hulk is referenced more than once in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. There's quite a few bits of music that nod towards things and so on. This is the first appearance by somebody actually from another iteration of Marvel, another non-franchise franchise. And the interesting thing is, while he turned out to be an actor called Ralph Boner, which, you know, a lot of people said, oh, it's just a setup for, you know, a smutty joke. That's a very Monica kind of joke. I was waiting for something like that to happen. But it's interesting to think. I mean, it has been confirmed. Some villains who featured in the Sony Spider-Man films played by the same actors are coming back in the next Spider-Man film. Are they going to expand in that way? That's going to be interesting to see. Yeah. I mean, I have to admit, I was a bit disappointed about that reveal. Like, I knew I shouldn't have got my hopes up, but there was a small part of me thinking, oh, maybe they'll keep the best things about (laughs) the X-Men franchise, the Fox X-Men franchise. The thing about Fox's X-Men franchise is that it's as established as the MCU, if you think about, if not longer. I mean, it's been going on since 2000, right? So it's a 20-year franchise, and in a way, it's got too much baggage for them to fit within, you know, because it already did its own with First Class. It already rebooted it by going back and then kind of brought them all together. It's just a bit messy, in a way, that I can understand why... You know, Feige, if he's going to bring the X-Men back, he's going to do it in a completely new way. Because also one of the things that you realise is we know that we've got multiverse situations. We've established that with Endgame. You know, Loki's going to be him, you know, going through times and trying to bring the branches back together because he took the Tesseract. You know, we know that it's called the Multiverse of Madness. We know that's going to be a core part of it. So obviously they're kind of establishing that. And we know from Spider-Man, the kind of big, oh, it's Mysterio talking about multiverse. It isn't. But oh, wait a sec, it actually is a multiverse, which is quite interesting. So I like the idea that there are some in a small way there could be some crossovers you know I think Deadpool is still new that it could definitely cross over and like you said you know how many nods is there in Deadpool you know it's so on the nose it's so meta the way you know how he talks about his old in the Wolverine iteration I think it's particularly like that one but you know with the Pietro I think it was a really fun little nod I liked Pietro I thought Evan Peters Pietro was really fun to have but I think in a way I thought that was just a nice little they could have only done it if Evan Peters was like hey can we do you want to do this quick thing you know what I mean it's not something they could have like written into it three years ago like you know in the major planner thing I think it was just a bit of fun to throw people off the scent and it kind of worked and it served its purpose in a really fun way I particularly like the Malcolm in the Middle kind of themed episode because I love yes. Malcolm in the Middle <laughs> the kind of double what's it called I can't remember what there's this kind of, there's a specific term for it where you have a close-up it's like a bifocal where you have a close-up of the person next to you and then you have him also in focus the person far behind so you're like listening to him listening in I love that and breaking the fourth wall as well it's interesting how many people who didn't grow up on Malcolm in the Middle thought that breaking of the fourth wall was also something else I saw something about theory about Deadpool I was like no that's just like a thing that happened in TV show <laughs> but yeah no it's interesting I think oh god there's so, there's so many possibilities isn't it and the multiverse theory just allows everyone to exist but um, with X-Men what's interesting is that one of the rules was Fox had to use the term mutant whereas Marvel Studios did not have the right to that word they couldn't use that because it was copyright Copyrighted to the X-Men. So they always talk about the enhanced or whatever. They never use the term mutant at all in the MCU. So it's interesting, like, how do you explain mutants if they didn't exist? So the only way you could really have mutants if you say it's a byproduct of the blip 
everyone coming back or they just create a whole new multiverse where mutants exist in that one so yeah it's interesting isn't it it's interesting how this is going to go forward and how they might now because they have the franchise Disney has ownership over X-Men how they'll try and introduce them properly and the flip side to that is that something that's become a bizarre well not criticism of WandaVision but criticism of the previous Marvel TV shows which I don't get at all is that people are saying because the Darkhold the Enchanted Book is in this and it looks different to how it was in all the ABC series I mean it's all over Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Cloak and Dagger Runaways and there is actually a line in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. about how it changes appearance depending on its owner Yeah, I'm really quite upset that people want to dismiss all those shows so I'm hoping although there were no nods to any of them in WandaVision that they do find a way going forward to bringing in you know Daredevil the Punisher even Iron Fist I want to see him come back yeah it's hard isn't it I think it could be done it's just the sensibilities isn't it I mean it obviously all exists within the MCU because there's all the nods you know Battle of New York other such kind of little easter eggs that are planted in so we know that they're all within the same I don't know what earth they call itself you know it's earth 616 it's supposed to be our one but that's not the earth of the MCU yeah it would be nice although you know some things I'm kind of like do we need the that Iron Fist back <laughs> also like I hate to say it I was not mad on Mike Coulter's Luke Cage you know but I would like to see Daredevil back I would like to see Jessica Jones yeah we and Colleen you know as I you know I really like Colleen and Misty so you know even if we don't get those back those you know there's no you can't take away that those MCU series were really well done but you know this is the world isn't it there's so many you know we've had how many we're on like our third Spider-Man <laughs> I think <laughs> it's the characters that we love I think and you know some people do a really good job in the roles but people are coming back for the characters they're not coming back for the people I think well yeah we should really talk though about Wonder and Vision and I'll link into that very contrivedly by saying I think the whole thing with Evan Peters was a joke on the way you know the term's falling out of favour now but sitcoms would jump the shark when somebody was recast and it wasn't mentioned yeah I think that was very much a joke about that but no you're so right I think you're right <laughs> I really loved the sitcom pastiches in it because they weren't actually I mean there were plenty of nods to specific sitcoms but no one episode was based on one specific sitcom it was a mishmash of the biggest sitcoms of the era that it was set in and I think that really worked to its advantage because it created a more kind of uneasy atmosphere than it would have done if you just thought I recognise this about all of it rather than help this is lots of things I know being bombarded at me all at once yeah it's interesting because you know even on the kind of everyone says the modern family episode the theme tune was more reminiscent to the office the office US I should say but I think that's the point it's her memories it's you know she obviously watched loads of these sitcoms and it's, it, it shows the instability of this world in that you know as we saw as it went along she couldn't maintain it she was kind of like recreating things her subconscious really was recreating these shows and taking bits that she liked you know obviously she watched so many more shows than you know what are named at the end of it but yeah and I, I just thought it was really well balanced with those moments of darkness and I think it's a real testament to the actors because Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany I think they did very well their ability to switch in tone when it kind of got something re- you know you're like oh my god is like shit about to go down and then suddenly it switches back I mean Catherine Hahn was great at that as well even though we all know that she was faking it her ability to kind of you felt this ominous presence and I just think it was just so interesting so this is what I like about WandaVision I just felt like this is something 
I haven't seen done. And I'm so glad that especially the series with someone like Wanda, who definitely didn't get enough time in the MCU, as many women didn't get enough time in the MCU to really explore, you know, what they're going through. I'm so glad that it shows that we can actually talk about these characters and present these characters and not always be confined by the kind of formula that we get with the superhero genre. And obviously, I know the MCU has a specific kind of, you know, they all kind of have the same formula, right? But, you know, as we've seen with Taika Waititi or with Ryan Coogler or even, you know, I'd say with Peyton Reed with Ant-Man and Black Panther and Thor Ragnarok, you can definitely see their sensibilities kind of coming through. They've got their signature style. And I think Jack Schaefer has been able to kind of bring her own, bring something that feels original, that feels like refreshing to watch, which, you know, obviously, you know, I'm sure you'll do a separate thing on Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But that for me, going from WandaVision to Falcon, I was like, oh, this is just so normal. (laughs) It's like, why is no one breaking the fourth wall? Why isn't no one like doing a meta reference to the fact that, you know, Wanda's accent changed? But I think that's a really good character choice by Elizabeth Olsen about the kind of immigrant experience of assimilating. But I also like the fact that it kind of, everyone says, where's her accent gone? And it does like a little nod to it. So yeah, I just thought it was just a very clever, clever series and its ability to kind of show off all its reference points while staying true to MCU. Yeah, I just think it it was a true love letter, I think, to television delivered very well well one thing that Elizabeth Olsen did that I I mean obviously I thought she was tremendous throughout the whole series one thing I thought was really kind of ingenious that she did outside of actually appearing in the series was did you know that as part of the promotion for it she took it upon herself to ask if she could go on Table Manners Jessie Ware's podcast to talk no. about it just ahead of it coming out and I thought what a great way to take it to a wider audience who I'm going to guess a lot of the people who listen to Table Manners probably aren't Marvel fans necessarily <laughs> but to have her on that talking really enthusiastically about how much she loves playing Wanda and making the whole thing sound so accessible and so presentable I mean I think that's the future of promoting things and well done to her for taking that initiative but I found it really difficult to believe when I look back that there was quite a bit of a frosty reception to the first couple of episodes of WandaVision I mean I've got a theory about that which is the same as I mean Hellstrom is not WandaVision the last kind of original Marvel TV series that came out late last year. My feelings on that, aside from the quality of it, it was the wrong time for it. It was a very bleak time. Nobody wanted a bleak series on top of that. I think people still weren't ready, given the state kind of the world and everyone's head is in, for something this off-the-wall, inventive, light. It was maybe just a bit too much for people initially caught them off guard. I mean, some criticisms were ridiculous. I mean, I did see people complaining that things that they'd made up in their own head didn't happen in it. Like, you know, I I feel cheated oh because Reed God. Richards didn't appear. <laughs> well, nobody said he was going to, but I think it's interesting that there were actual proper considered, mm, I'm not getting this early on. I mean, those people later mostly changed their view, but it's mm. quite strange to look back at that, really. Yeah, I mean... God, it's sometimes it felt very trying not to engage in some of the criticism because <laughs> you're just like, I just don't have time to be mad about this. Yeah, I think the problem is so often fans especially, but they kind of they put expectations on shows that they have actually no right to. The creators choose how it is. You don't get to define how something and if you wanted something to play out a certain way, well, <laughs> sorry, that's not how filmmaking works. That's not how people make TV series. You can like it or not. I mean, the problem is you've got these are kind of a 
the problem with especially comic books, films, you know, with loads of movies is that there's so much material out there. There's so many different interpretations. There's so much literally, <laughs> there's such a universe already established that the idea that you could tweak something or kind of go in a different direction or not confirm certain things. You know, we live in this massive culture of online where everyone's got theories and Reddit threads and all this type of thing. Everyone's kind of trying to find like there's clues and everything. It's like Taylor Swift giving out information about her latest album. Like, yeah, that is what that is. I don't think the MCU is trying to trick you in that sort of way. I think a lot of people set themselves up to be tricked because they just don't let things just like, just receive it. <laughs> receive it, receive it. If you like it, you like it, you don't. Because I'm very like, I hate getting sent theories. Do you know what I mean? I hate because I feel like I want to go in kind of clean. You know, I have my own ideas, but you know, the way people over speculate, I think you're just ruining your experience, to be honest. Oh, I don't know. I just, the fact that it managed, like you said, I think the people that I know who are not Marvel fans you know my boyfriend has barely watched any Marvel movies you know I keep trying to I said to him look just watch the Avengers movies with me please but you know even he was really enjoying the series even though he didn't know any of the background you know uh, lots of friends of mine or critics you know who don't who aren't religiously fans or watch every single Marvel movie could watch WandaVision and still appreciate it as a solo series people try and get they want shows to fulfill their every expectation and you're just setting yourself up for disappointment if you kind of have that attitude shows can't do everything they're trying to do one thing and it, you know i think a lot of times just chill out <laughs> and like it or not watch it or, or don't watch it but i think you you know i think wandavision is a great show that did a lot of new things it might not have you know gone down the narrative routes that some people want but i think it made some really smart choices and you know i think the mcu it has done a great job of connecting all of its films and tv shows in a way that feels just quite not seamless but you know given what we've seen with other franchises of the same you know ilk what it's been able to achieve and what we know is to come I think they've you know done really well and I think WandaVision has done far more for a female character in the MCU than pretty much the last decade Captain Marvel of course is great but I think WandaVision I think it's gone to a dark deep place than Captain Marvel I think is a better not that I want to compare but I think it's gone to a place that Captain Marvel didn't and I think that kind of darkness female characters are actually as complex as the Tony Starks of the world, right? And Tony Stark had, had like, you know, a whole decade of movies dedicated to his like whole progression and dealing with daddy issues and losing his parents and all this jazz. So, you know, I think WandaVision does amazingly well and I, I'm so glad it set up her for the future and the people want to get her back, but also, you know, setting up Monica. It's just, yeah, it's just fantastic. So, yeah, love it. Absolutely. And if I can put up with yet again being thwarted in my expectation that Wonder Man is going to appear anyone can put up with their theories <laughs> not coming true but there's only one thing left for me to ask now hannah if you had the ability to conjure up collective three-dimensional hallucinations what would you use it for oh oh god what would i do maybe to be in a room with jake gyllenhaal and we could get married <laughs> and he has to wear his mysterio costume without the helmet <laughs> well i don't know how to answer that hannah thank you and excelsior <laughs> excelsior If you've enjoyed this, don't forget you can find more editions of It's Good Except It Sucks and plenty more besides, including details of my book Can't Help Thinking About Me at timworthington.org.